All right. So where are we in time and space? So this is where tour plans and time plans are really important. So remember, this can be relevant even in a single pitch environment in a half day, right? You need to know where you're going. You need to know how to get back to where you need to get back to. And you need to have a time plan to accomplish the goal in a certain time frame. So it's nothing that we don't do every day when we guide. It's just we might not have as an extensive tour plan that requires maps and actually building a time plan and coordinates and azimuths and all that stuff. It's just like, all right, I need to be at the shop at this time. I got my watch on. I know I need to get to this parking lot. But as we start dealing with more mountainous type of guiding, more significant guiding, more travel, right? So that could be skiing, that could be backpacking, that could be alpine climbing. You know, we need even even just like climbing long rock routes, right? Like really, really long rock routes. You need to actually build in, especially if you have to approach something for a long distance, you have to build in that tour plan and that time plan. And sometimes the actual tour plan is less relevant if it's really easy to navigate to where you're going, but the time plan's more relevant, right? Sometimes the time plan's less relevant if that time's not an issue so much, but the actually getting to your point's more of an issue. And sometimes they're both really important. So it's really key to actually look at a map, whether it's a paper map or a digital map, and start building those things. Now, I still really like to do this stuff by hand, on a paper map. It's just a, a piece that that's how I learned. I really like that process. It just gives me a connection to these skills that I don't want to lose. Um, and I find a lot of enjoyment in it. The digital side of things is awesome, really, really powerful because essentially when I do do that, when I do do that fair amount to build these things on a digital platform, it just is more efficient in terms of the time involved. And especially if I'm doing a bigger trip, I can do more tour plans, like say I'm going to an area to ski guide for a week, I can build more tour plans um, in a quicker time frame versus doing it all by hand. But I'll still look at the maps quite a bit because I kind of like the, it's like reading a book, you know, actual paper book in your hand versus reading it on your phone. Like I still like the tactile piece of holding that book in my hand. The other nice thing about using a digital platform is that it does a lot of the numbers for you, right? So you draw a line from one point to the other and it tells you exactly you know, the units you want to use in terms of azimuth, it tells you the, the starting point and the ending point in terms of whatever units you want to use in terms of coordinate system. It'll tell you a distance. I want to get a straight line distance, right? And from there, it just can be very easy to, you know, create a time estimate of that. Now you have programs that actually will tell you, give you the tour, the time plan rather, and you can manipulate the time plan depending on kind of the units you use to kind of figure that out. So, wildly powerful um, thing to do is do this stuff online. My friend Mark Chauvin actually created this um, this program called Track Parser, which actually is once you go out in a field and do like record or GPS track of what you did, you can go back and plug this into um, his Track Parser and it will tell you, you know, you can, you can divide the segments up however you want and it will tell you how fast what and what rate you did depending on the 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 tour, the time plan system you're using that you did things in. So it's a really great way of going, oh, I traveled this train at this rate. Cool. So next time I am in this type of train, I can use as a reference. I still do that a lot in the field. So if I'm creating a plan, right, and I have a, a time plan that gets me from point A to point B and from point B to point C, 
So I'll have what I think I'm going to do each one of those legs in. And when I get to that point, I might look at what it actually took me to do it in and write it in my notebook. So I know like, oh, I did this faster or slower than I thought. And I might actually write in my initial rate that I was using as a, as a calculator to get that number. So that way, when I actually get the real rate that I did it in, I can go back, go, oh, I'm actually more using this number versus that number in terms of, uh, of a tool in the, in the system making the tor- time plan. So, but that does require you have diligence in the field. It does require you to not forget that stuff. It's really easy if it's cold out to like not do that or not account for like, oh, we actually took a 20-minute break here versus a 10-minute break. So we started at this time versus that time. So it's very easy to not do that well. It takes a lot of diligence in the field, but it's essentially doing the same thing that track parser does um, just doing it on your own in the field. But it is an important thing to actually have reference about what you have done to see what and how what you might do in the future for sure. Now, tour plans are, are a little bit easier in my mind. You know, you're essentially like looking at a map and kind of connecting dots, finding spots that would be good places, obvious places to maybe change a direction, you know, figuring out what the coordinates are for those points. So that way you can have a uh, actual reference if you're using a digital tool and, you, and you're not using just like the blue dot in your phone, you're just getting a coordinate like, oh, okay, cool. This is the coordinate. That's the coordinate on this map. You know, having your, your compass bearings, azimuth rather, all set up. So like if it's a whiteout and you have your map out and you just have all that information on it, you're like, oh, cool. When I'm at this point, I just have to go roughly south or 180 degrees or whatever the, the azimuth is to kind of roughly hit this handrail and then go from there and take a right, you know, whatever, and go down this, this drainage. So that stuff's really nice to have all done ahead of time, actually on the map. You know, if you go guide in a place a lot, mountainous train it's nice to build a map digitally that has all that relevant information on so that way you don't have to do it every time you can just like pull out the pre-made map it's got all the relevant information like oh cool clouds dropped i'm here oh here's the here's the azimuth i need to follow and it's it's a 0.6 miles down to this next thing cool roughly take me 25 minutes awesome done so you don't have to figure that stuff out in the field so it's really important to use to do this stuff before you go into the field for sure. Now, there are a couple ways that we can figure out time plans. Um, there's kind of a, you know, the classic way that I've learned is kind of the imperial method. Um, and that's where we, th- we take kind of the average walking pace of a human being. And I've seen different numbers for this, but I usually use two miles an hour. So that's like I'm walking down the road, average pace, not running, not going super slow, and there's not a lot of like rough terrain or a lot of elevation gain. So we can just kind of base like, all right, the average human walks at roughly two miles an hour, and that's kind of our basis. So if I have to do a walk, you know, that's two miles long, let's just say in the prairie where it's pretty flat terrain, it's going to take me about an hour to get from point A to point B. And then on top of that, if we start having topography and elevation, right, we're going to move slower Potentially, if we're going uphill, probably, we might move faster going downhill. We might not. We might move even slower than our uphill progress. Depends on the, how technical the train is and kind of how our people are. But we have to factor in the, into our time estimate that piece of more exertion or going slower. So we could change the mile an hour rate. So like, oh, I think I'm going to move one mile an hour versus two. That's one way you could do it. The other way we typically do it is we add time for elevation 
traveled. So, you know, here in New England, we have paths that go straight up mountains. They're like, let's follow this rocky stream bed. So that distance traveled is kind of in a straight line and the effort to go in that straight line can be very significant. So we go slower versus if you're out West, oftentimes on trails that have a lot of switchbacks, you go a longer distance, but you gain the elevation so gradually that you might only need to do the distance calculations and not the time calculations because you're not really exerting yourself as hard going on that lower angle switchback train. Um, so it's kind of like knowing where you are is kind of important too. Al- you know, altitude definitely plays a piece in this too, for sure, because you're going to work harder when you're at altitude if you're not acclimatized. But when we're using this imperial method, we have our rough base of two miles an hour per average person. And if we're going to travel for every thousand vertical feet that we travel, we're going to add an hour. And that's going to account for the slower rate that we actually travel. So if I'm going to do a two mile hike, but I'm going to gain a thousand feet in that two mile hike. Well, that's to do a rough time estimate. That's two miles an hour, two miles. So that's one hour there. And then a thousand feet. So that's another hour. So that would mean it'd take me roughly two hours to go from point A to B if we're going to travel two miles with a thousand feet of elevation. Now, these coordinates don't account for like breaks and stuff like that, or these time estimates don't account for breaks. So you have to factor in breaks into there. You know, one rough thing is every 50 minutes to an hour, you stop for 10 minutes. Some people will use that as a timeline, but that's really highly relevant to A, the type of train you're traveling and also the weather conditions. Like here in New England in the wintertime, it can be so harsh that I don't want to stop for more than a couple minutes tops because you're going to get cold right? You're going to, you're sweating and now you're going to lose that heat. And by the time you take your jackets out and do all this stuff and put your jackets away, you've lost time and you're just going to get cold. So sometimes breaks can be very, very short. And sometimes you're like, all right, we're out ski touring and it's beautiful out. It's sunny. It's warm. Hey, let's take a 45 minute break here, right? And if you're going to factor breaks into your time plan, which you should, and you say, you say, all right, I'm going to take 10 minute breaks every 60 minutes. Make sure you take only 10 minute breaks right? If you're taking all of a sudden on average 15 minute breaks, your time plan is going to be off, right? Remember every second equals a minute and every minute equals 10, 20, 30 minutes an hour. And over the course of a long duration trek, that can make you wildly off. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes it really matters, right? So that's really important. So that's one way we can think about going uphill, Now, the thing that's tricky about time plans is going downhill. That's a much harder time estimate. The other thing that can be really tricky in time estimates is more technical terrain. You know, so actually roped technical climbing because sometimes a pitch takes you 20 minutes total for someone to lead it and then someone to second it because it's pretty easy, straightforward. And sometimes the leader up there is up there for an hour because it's scary or technically challenging and then it it totally blows the time estimate off. If the pitch before took 20 minutes and the next one took an hour and 20 minutes and you're expecting it to take 20 minutes, you're off by an hour, right? So technical training can be really hard to estimate versus just kind of more general ski touring and mountaineering terrain and hiking terrain. But I find that when I want to find the time plan, time estimate to come down, right? We rarely, if we're on foot, come down in half the time. We're really going to cut things in half. Sometimes we can, depending on the terrain and the conditions and the people. But usually I find it take, I'll kind of figure in like 
it's going to take me about 75% of the time to come down as it did to go up, right? So it's going to be about 25% less long to go down. That's, that's usually what I shoot for, but it could take more time to come down, right? Depending on the conditions and the people. It could take significantly less time. It's a really hard one to nail, and it depends on also if you're planning on going down the same way that you're coming up or a different way. But essentially, you have to figure out what your up time plan is and then either multiply or divide depending on how you want to do decimals or, or fractions to get that new number for your descent option, right? Your descent time. So that one's really tricky actually to nail really well. And that takes us a lot of time and practice in the field and observations and reflection about what you have done and extrapolating that to what you're about to do. But that's a system I use really well uh, and use a lot rather um, and is really comfortable. And then you can do little things like Say you have to break trail. You can say, well, we're not really getting any elevation, but I do have to break trail. So maybe I'll add a half hour for every mile that we travel just because it's going to be harder going. So you can kind of like manipulate that a little bit. Or I'm, I'm on skis and we're really fit skiers and good skiers. So I'm going to actually, you know, we're going to do five miles in an hour versus two miles an hour, right? So there's a lot of little ways you can tweak that. But that stuff all takes some time to understand and subtleties to do. Another really common method is the Munter system. So the Munter system is pretty nice because um, it's based on metric. And there is an app called Guidespace, which really is nice because it allows you to use the Munter system, but allows you to change the units so that way you don't have to do the math if you're, going, if you're using a map and it has all imperial units like miles and feet and you want to use the Munter system versus if you have a if you're in Europe and you have a map that's all metric you're like oh sweet Munter system is no problem and the Munter system is nice cuz it just it just uses certain things to create units that you ultimately divide out later so like 1 kilometer is a unit right 100 meters is a unit so if you are going to travel 10 kilometers and you're going to gain 300 meters, right? 10 kilometers, that's 10 units. 300 meters, that's three units. So you have 13 units. And then from there, you can divide that number by a rate to give you your rough time estimate, which is really cool. So you can have time estimates for going up, right? And once again, you can have time estimates for going down. So that, and that can also be based on mode of travel, so if you're on skis, you can use a greater number to do your estimate on the way down, your divider on the way down, versus if you're on foot. And the cool thing is there's some like basic stuff, like Munter unit of four is roughly moving uphill on foot or skis. Munter of six is, you know, coming down on foot, and then usually Munter unit of 10 is coming down on skis, right? Those are just really rough estimates. The other cool thing about Munter units is that you can make them more precise and accurate by using decimals. Like, I'll tell you right now, guide's pace going up for the average client is not four. It's probably more like 3.5 to 3.8. That's been my experience, right? Four is a little bit fast for the average client going uphill in mountainous terrain. And then if you're going, once again, really, like you're expecting to do like either breaking trail or bushwhacking, you could drop your Munter unit down to one or two. Just like if you're with a really fit team of skiers, you might up your Munter unit to 20, right? So that's the cool thing about Munter units is that it can be sometimes easier to do in the field. But I also think that's just relative to like how well you know that system versus another system. Like if you're really intimate with the imperial method, you can do those calculations in your head. If you're really intimate with the Munter system, you can do those calculations in your head. And it's pretty nice. So 
it's just another system to use. Um, now with monitor units, you typically will kind of do the overall change and elevation up and down and kind of represent that as just one block. And I think that's really useful if you're like, see so you're on a ridge line that kind of the general trend is up, but you have these up and downs that kind of like a sawtooth ridge line. I'm just going to kind of factor in all the elevation change up and down into one block and just do the, the time estimate for that whole thing. If I have a tour plan that has significant up to significant down, so we're saying we're like, we're ski touring up for two kilometers and then we're going to do a long ski run down, right? I'm probably going to break each one of those, those segments up and just do the uptime and then the downtime for the longer segments versus adding it all together. I find for me that that makes a much more accurate projection of what you're going to do um, for sure. But if it's all kind of like, you know, a rough, you know, we're roughly gaining altitude or roughly losing altitude and there's little ups and downs in the way, I'm probably going to just do that as one big block because you're never going to do the up and down for each one. And now as we have programs that kind of figure that stuff out for us, they actually can account for a much more precise and accurate, you know, measuring of those those ups and downs, which is kind of cool. Um, so you don't have, even have to factor in as much some of that other stuff, but it's um, something to be aware of when you're doing any um, time estimate is how significant the up is versus how significant the down is um, when we're doing those time estimates. So there's another... Um, system that you can use too, which is kind of what we use a lot in ski touring. And it's thinking about more about how long does it take us to gain a thousand feet? So like roughly guide pace, you would say is like 800 feet to a thousand feet an hour, right? Going uphill. Sometimes slower for sure with a group, sometimes faster with a group. And I find that system works really well when you're either skiing or you're climbing like a consistent snow slope where the pitch is steep enough now and you're just kind of consistently moving up this slope um, versus low angle terrain. I find some of the Munter units or the Imperial system work a little bit better. But if you have like a consistently steeper slope that you're just moving up, I find that to work really well. It's just like, all right, I'm going to gain a thousand feet in an hour. And then you can kind of like figure out that pace based on that. And the cool thing is if you tie that back into a tool like a, um, a GPS watch that you actually have the ability to not only see distance, right, and time, but you also can, you know, program your watch to tell you what your pace is, what your actual rate is. So maybe your current pace versus your average. And I find that I use that average pace a lot to kind of like recalibrate how I'm doing to my time plan relative to what we're actually doing in the field. I find that having knowing what your actual pace is at the moment is really nice so you can feel what a two mile an hour paces or what a munter rate of four actually feels like, right? You're like, oh, that's what this is. I can see that now because my watch is telling me this is how fast we're going right now. Um, so that's a really useful tool to help give you some insight about what you're actually doing um, versus what you maybe thought about doing. So these things are really important to figure out and get really dialed in. Um, and the thing that's kind of interesting is that I find as I get older, and sometimes I feel like I'm less good at figuring this out, even though I'm kind of better at it. And sometimes what I find is that I'm pretty good at figuring out the whole day, but sometimes each leg I can be wildly off um, because it just took me more or less time to do a certain leg. And there's always this, this, a certain amount of uncertainty when we're dealing with, especially places you haven't been, or even places you have been in, in terms of the conditions and then the fitness of your client. But for example... I think I've mentioned this before, but 
I was in Iceland guiding the highest peak there. I'd never guided it. I'd never been on it before. And it's a big day. We start, essentially start at sea level and we go to over, um, we go to about 6,000 um, feet, right? A little bit more than that, maybe 6,500 feet. So it's a lot of vertical gain in about seven miles. And I essentially built a tour plan and a time plan for up and down. And it came out with, my estimate was 14 hours and 21 minutes. And I had each leg set up for, you know, figured out what each leg was going to be for time and distance and bearings, azimuth rather, and coordinates, all that stuff. And then as the day went on, I would just notate what I did those legs in. And what I found is that some of the legs were kind of pretty off in terms of the, the time it took us. And partly that was my client's fitness and fatigue over the course of the day. And partly it was just not knowing the terrain and, and, and the conditions that we had. Um, like the snow was a little softer, so it was a little bit more like walking on a beach versus a nice hard neve. So that took a little more, a little less, a little more time to travel in some places. But ultimately at the end of the day, when we got back to the car, I had factored in 14 hours and 21 minutes and we did it in 14 hours and 17 minutes. So I was off by about four minutes, three or four minutes, right? You can't get much closer than that. And that was a combination of experience, skill, and then luck. Like we could have easily been back a little earlier because I took like a longer break at one point because I felt like, ooh, it's a good time to take a little longer break. Let's actually take our boots off, let our socks dry out, right? We've kind of, we're, we're doing pretty well on time. So I'm actually going to stop for a longer period of time than I anticipated to at any point on that day. It could also have gone a lot slower. At any point, my client could have really slowed down because he was, pretty tired by the end of that day. Um, and that could have really put us over that time. So I've kind of been always kind of proud of that particular day, but I do recognize that besides the actual skill and experience part, there was a piece of luck for sure to actually kind of be that close. But, and when you're doing time plans, you don't really learn every, anything if you always nail it. Cause you won't, you can't, but you will learn a lot when you don't nail it. And as long as you go back and reference, like, why didn't I nail this time plan? Then you learn about some of the discrepancies about trying to figure those things out and, and factor that into the person or the group that you're working with. So it's kind of funny, like when I'm on a longer day and we have kind of distance to travel and I have like a time plan, I'm constantly looking at my watch and the distance travel. I'm like, it's, I'm a little, I'm a little obsessive because I'm constantly redoing the math in my head to make sure that we're kind of making the progress that I need to make to get to a certain point. And so sometimes I'll throttle back and sometimes I'll throttle up. But one thing I'd be really careful is if you did something faster than you thought, don't go ahead and change your whole rest of your day's plan based on that new time because maybe what you're about to go do is more physically demanding, especially if you couple in fatigue and you might slow down. So it's like, don't get too excited about changing everything. Oh, we're doing so well. We're going to get there at two hours earlier than I thought. Wait till the last moment before you actually kind of factor that in, right? Um, because you can be, you can get surprised. I've been surprised in my past when I've done that, got too eager with our performance early in the day and it really affected my time plan for the rest of the day because later in the day, we went a lot slower than I anticipated or more what I anticipated to begin with. Um, so I kind of like play that card very carefully when I'm out there, but it's a big deal in this game is to understand how to make tour plans so we can understand where we are in space and then time plans to kind of understand where we are 
in time. Because sometimes we'll use time to understand how we are in space. Like if we have a rough time to travel a certain distance to a known point, a very obvious known point, and we can't see anything, after we've traveled a certain amount of time, we go, oh, I should be looking for this thing. It should be coming up pretty soon. Or if we know what the rate that we're traveling, right, that might allow us to understand one of those other pieces. So it's super, super important um, to be able to do that stuff well.